and welcome to the Gridiron Draft Show. Today we're going to dig deep into the trenches for the upcoming NFL Draft with our resident expert Simon Clancy and that's just going to be about it. Um, just continuing our series on the draft. Hello? Hello, Simon. How are you, mate? I'm very well. How are you? Good. I'm trying to uh, do the intro the way Will and Ollie do it. I'm sure it was dreadful, but we can live to tell the tale. Um, so, Si, how's everything going with you? We, we chat, I mean, basically seven days away at this point, and me and you will be together this time next week getting ready for the draft, but how are you feeling now? Are you, are you getting excited about it? Do you know what, I'm in that position that I'm in every year, you know, when I was growing up and the draft was on sort of early April, it just now feels like, you know, just get on with it, I can't believe it's another week to wait, it it does feel terribly drawn out, Um, and I get why the league do it, obviously, because they're trying to just make it a 365 day a year league, Um, but frankly... You know, I think probably scouts and general managers and all those people involved are kind of pretty much ready and done now. I mean, it's, you know, let's just get it on. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not sure it helps the teams either, does it? It, it gets to the point of paralysis by overanalysis, I think. I, 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 I struggle to think that that extra month is in any way beneficial to teams. I don't think it benefits anybody, frankly. I mean, I don't think it benefits the players. I don't think it benefits the the, the teams. I don't think it benefits certainly don't benefit the scouts. Um, and it's less time that you get with the kids, frankly. You know, you want to get them into mini camps and you know get them in the building and start giving them playbooks and stuff. And you know, the fact that you're extending it by an extra two weeks or or removing two weeks of work with which they could have a playbook in their hands is, you know. I don't think it's a great idea, but like I said, it's obvious why they're doing it, and, and this year more so because you've got uh, ABC involved as well in terms of television coverage and and stuff. So, but you know, let's just uh, let's just get it on. Absolutely, and let's get it on t- chatting about the, the the best position groups I think in this draft, and I've I've been looking forward to, to chatting these through with you, Sai. Um, we've built it in the magazine as the year of the pass rusher. Um, and in brackets, the man will be chasing because Kyler Murray ruined our plan a little bit. But it really is, Si, isn't it? It's the year of those guys, both all over the defensive line, I guess, interior on the edge as well. But should we start with the edge defenders and uh, and with Nick Bosa at Ohio State? Great piece by Liam Blackburn, who writes a lot for the magazine, chatting to both a little bit from Joy, but mainly Nick Bosa's mum as well. And and you, where do you sit on the debate I, I guess there is no debate that he's probably the best player in the class side, but where do you think he rates it against his brother? I think that's the most interesting question. I think he's possibly not quite as... Uh, I don't think he has the elite measurables that his brother does, but I actually think he might be a better player, if that makes sense. Um, I think he's a, I think he's a terrific talent. Uh, you know, and I think he's probably rightly the number one player in the draft. I mean, it, it, it's uncomfortable in a way when a guy has barely played... His entire, you know, it'll be, you know, nine or eighteen months when he gets on the field um, to have played. You know, the fact that he hasn't played. I mean, you know, he ran a four eight forty, which wasn't blazing. 
Um, you know, it was slower than his brother's time. But I think, you know, this is a high motor kid. He's got great strength. He's got a good frame. Um, and he's ridiculously quick to the, you know, he, he he's, you're going to have to double block him at the, at the next level. You're going to have to chip a tight end or, or a running back just like his brother really because he can reduce inside as well you know on third downs which is uh you know incredibly valuable especially for you know for teams that like to throw lots of different fronts and, and different you know rushing styles frankly i think he's you know he's a day one starter probably um uh, and will become an elite pass rusher elite defensive end i'm not sure he'll be quite as good against the runners as his brother um but I mean, I don't, have you ever seen his legs? His, you know, his legs are absolutely insanely huge. I mean, this is a guy that never skips leg day. Um, I don't think overall uh. he's quite as athletic, quite as fluid as, as Joey. But um, he is a um, he's a very good player. I, I remember the TCU game last year, side just before he got injured, and mm. that was the first time we really saw the. The, the writing on the wall for it became an Ohio State season in which really they played a lot of games close that they, they shouldn't have. But he really took over that game in the second half and it was clear that he was, to an extent, the, the Ohio State defence. And we saw that at the point he went out. I mean, I, I guess the, there is limited tape, but when you see a, a kid when the game's on the line and you may be a little bit behind, able to take over it like that. Those are great signs for the next level. Yeah, absolutely. Although, to be fair, you know, you, you look at, you know, Chase Young stepped in and there wasn't a massive drop-off. You know, Chase Young obviously needs work, but he will be a high pick next year when he comes out. I, I, I think the guy that really dominated that game, actually, from an Ohio State point of view, was Draymond Jones, the interior defensive lineman, who's the guy that's going to sneak in under the radar a little bit, will probably go off the board in that sort of 28 to 45 area. And looks to me like a real value selection for somebody. Um, so obviously they're blessed with talent, but you know I think he was the best player on the field. He's you know generally the best player on the field when he plays, um, and deserves to be probably you know well I mean he deserves to go off the board certainly in the top three picks, and and is probably as I said the best player in the draft. Yeah, and, and let's get to some of the other guys. First of all, who we think are the sure things of the of the edge defender class? Because I always feel like the draft is split between guys who we think will just be at a minimum good NFL players, and guys, particularly positions like edge rusher, where you know you fall in love with the physical measurables, and and you feel like if they do everything right, they could almost become better players than some of the guys that you would mention as the, as the sure prospects. But Josh Allen at Kentucky, to me, feels like the the, the sure prospect type yeah. in this class, mainly because of how versatile he is. I mean, I wonder, Sai, how, how do you look at using a guy like that who is so effective? I mean, both as an edge rusher, as a big guy setting the edge, but also we saw him dropping the coverage effectively as well. Yeah, I mean, he's one of my favourite players. I mean, he's probably my favourite player in the draft, actually. You have to look at what he did last year. I mean just a ridiculous ridiculous performance you know he won the Bednarek award he won the Nagurski as top defender in in the country he had 21 and a half tackles for a loss he had 17 sacks five forced fumbles and this coming in the SEC um but as you say you know you, you throw on the Texas a and game for example there he is 30 40 50 yards downfield in man coverage against Jay Sternberger who I think is one of the top five tight ends in the draft and is a guy who'll, who'll end up catching a lot of passes won't block for you but will catch a lot of passes down the field um, and, and there was Alan running stride for stride. He's kind of a hybrid guy. Uh, he's all over the place. He can 
play special teams. He can play as a linebacker. He can play as an edge guy. Um, you know, he's got these. He's got some serious pass rush moves. He's got an elite first step. Um, he's strong at the point of attack. He'll he will be a dominant run defender as well. Um, and you just look at that package of size, speed, explosion, physicality, um, and then footwork. I, I, you know, to me, he's a can't miss. Pro. I will be stunned if he's not a, a really, really good player. You know, there are bits that he needs to do definitely. Um, sometimes, you know, with contain, for example, he can get a little bit undisciplined. But um, overall, I think he's a. Uh, I, I just think he's a tremendous player, and uh, you know, I would be thrilled if I was selecting Josh Allen to my team. And let's talk sorry, about two other guys featured in the magazine who me and you met and interviewed in, in Ann Arbor in, in Rashan, Gary and Chase Winovich, the, the pair of defensive ends from, from Michigan. I, I guess with these two guys, the story is that, that, that really they exemplify what I've just said, which is how the draft is often split between guys who you think are going to be just good players and guys who are just that... And I know the term you always use, that planet theory type guy with insane athleticism, and that certainly applies here. Winovich, the guy who has production, who we think is a very sure thing to be a good player at the next level. And then Gary, who has every physical trait that you could ever wish for, but ultimately not necessarily the production. What you're doing with Roshan Gary is you're betting very much on the future. You're betting very much on that elite athletic, elite measurable talent coming to the fore I think you've got to get him in the right system I felt uncomfortable with him saying that he felt he was in the wrong system or was used incorrectly given the coaching that he had at Michigan and I wondered whether or not that was being used as an excuse for a lack of uh, production Uh, and you know because ultimately that's what it is you know it is a lack of production what is he is he a 4-3 defensive end? Is he a 4-3 tackle who reduces inside? Is he a 3-4 defensive end who can reduce inside on pass rush downs? I think you have to work out exactly what he is. And I think to, you know if he, if he ends up in anything close to the wrong system, I think he'll be a bust. He's a great kid. Um, he works really hard. He was a pleasure to talk to. Um, but there are elements of his game, for example, you know, as a pass rusher, you will see him get round the edge and then he just does not know how to close. He cannot finish, you know, and I don't know whether it's a, a, you know, a lack of explosion when he gets to the, you know, because he can bend the arc for a big guy, but it feels like he has no sort of bend and, no, sorry, no explosion off off the bend. That, to me, is a concern. You look at Winovich. Now, Winovich is the undersized compared to Gary he's the energizer bunny he is the guy that will play 10 years in the league and will have a terrific career he has got everything that you want he is explosive uh he works ridiculously hard I think he's the number one rated player um in college football or certainly draft eligible player um in terms of tackles more than 20 yards downfield, which just about underlines exactly what you're talking about when it comes to, to Chase Winovich. He is a guy that probably will go off the board late first, early to mid-second, but I, I think teams are getting a valuable leader. I think they're getting a great personality. I think they're getting a a guy who can be something of a an image maker for a franchise, but they're also getting a really, really good player. And again, do you play him at defensive end? I, I think you can play linebacker in a in an in a thirty four. I think you can play defensive end in, in a four three. He's tough against the run. He's got good hands. Uh, he's hard. Um, 
I, I think um, I think Winovich is a, is a terrific player in a very good group of of defensive ends. But uh, you know, a group you look at, you know, there's a couple of guys here. Montez Sweat. I've just been watching NFL Network, and a colleague of mine reported last night that he he'd been told that Montez Sweat was was being taken off some teams' boards because of the heart condition that turned up at the um, uh, at the combine. Just see Ian Rappaport now on NFL Network saying that four teams. He's spoken to four different teams who have removed Montez Sweat from their board because of a heart condition. Sweat concerns me greatly, not just because of the heart condition. I think he's stiff. Um, I think he benefited from having uh, a tremendous uh, defensive tackle. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons is a top five player in this draft. And I think Montez Sweat benefited from having Simmons alongside him. Another guy, Brian Burns at Florida State. I mean, Burns to me is a... I mean, Burns to me is a second or third round guy. I mean, I, I simply do not understand this this talk of you know um, uh, of being a top ten, top twelve pick. I mean, I you know I saw a lot of his games at Florida State. He turned up at the combine. He was two hundred and forty nine pounds at the combine. Um, he probably played. I mean, I spoke to a couple of people around the Florida State program. He probably played in the two twenty five, two thirty area. I mean. That would be a massive concern for me if I was turning up and spending a high pick on this kid, um, knowing that he'd potentially put on twenty pounds worth of what what may just be water weight. You know, you pile on water to to make yourself look bigger at the combine. Um, I don't think he's a two hundred and forty nine pound guy, um, and I don't think he's a particularly good player. And I think teams are going to be very caught out. You know, when you look at players like Burns, you like to, you know, you shift your focus to the guy that's blocking him. There, there are games on tape. There is a game against NC State, for example, where he gets taken down the field by a guy who will probably not even be drafted. You know, I, I, that to me is, uh, you know, I think he's, I think he's one of the more overrated players in the draft. Uh, yeah, to me, he's, to me, he could be Aaron Mabin or, or Barkevius Mingo or Michael Buchanan. He is not a physical guy. At all, and you know, when you're being walked down the field by guys who'll be third round, sorry, free agents in the draft or day three picks, and they're blocking you into different time zones, that to me is a big red flag. But there are, you know, there's a lot of good players there, and, and you go down the list, you know, into the second, third, fourth round, there are good players. A Charlotte Ximenez of Old Dominion, Jack Hypolite of Florida, who had a bad sort of draft season but is a very refined pass rusher, can play, uh, uh, you know, in coverage. Austin Bryant at Clemson, underneath the kind of the Christian Wilkins and the Dexter Lawrences and the Cleland Ferrells. Bryant kind of got lost, but there's a good player. Ben Bonogu. If you're looking for, if you're looking for um, uh, Yannick and Gakway, uh, Ben Bonogu of TCU, um, there is a guy who is your Yannick and Gakway type player, a bit raw, but terrific pass rushing moves. And then sort of later on, Max Crosby of Eastern Michigan, a fumble expert, you know, Port Augustine of USC. You throw on Port Augustine's tape against Texas. It is one of the most impressive tapes of any player you will see in this year's draft. So there are there are lots of players, certainly edge rushers, that you can, you know, you can get very excited about. But it, there are certainly a couple of buyer-beware guys. Same when you kick on inside. There are, you know, some really talented players inside, but also some guys that will will make you worry a little bit. And I'm sure we'll get to those in a minute. Yeah, and and just one guy you mentioned there was one of the interior guys I wanted to ask you about. Jeffrey Simmons mm. is a guy with proper off-field issues, um, injury issues, who I saw Gil Brandt last night say is the best player in the draft. Yep. Um, 
Where do you see him landing? Is this going to be the Patriots-style team at the end of the first round who take a flyer on him? Is, is he going to be that guy? Or, or does a team really just ignore some of the other things that we've seen with him and, and decide that the talent's too good to, to pass up if he's there in the in the late teens? I don't think it would be a surprise at all if he comes on the off the board in the first 13 picks. I know that the... I know there's an AFC East team that has him as a top five player in this draft, uh, which I believe he is. You know, you talk about the, the off-field issues. So as a high school senior, Jeffrey Simmons was involved. There was essentially a video of him. Uh, a woman was engaged in a fight with his sister. He tried to break it up and the woman started hitting him and there he's on the floor hitting the woman. It's not a good video. I'm not trying to defend it at all. But he's also not Joe Mixon, I don't think. Um, and what I think... Yeah. Uh, Simmons has done um, is absolutely and unequivocally turn his life around. He spent four years proving to everybody that what happened there was not Jeffrey Simmons. Yeah, even in high school, he was he was incredibly well liked. He was a respected team leader. He was a terrific player. He was a five star recruit um, at, at Knoxville County. They won back to back state championships. Um, he has become an absolute pillar of the community you know and i'm not just saying this because i think he's a good player it's true his gpa is in the three point uh, i think it's a 3.3 gpa he won the newsome award in spring um which is the award handed to uh, players in the sec for their both their work on the field in the classroom and in the community he's a community leader he is a mentor for for young children there's a, f- a fascinating video you can find it on youtube it's about 10 minutes long i think it's made by the mississippi state um sports information department about all the work that he does essentially follows him around for a week and he talks openly about what happened and how it you know he's married he has a he has children he is a a really good kid but also what he is is a phenomenal player he is a huge physical physical specimen you look he has this rare combination of size and strength and athleticism that kind of planet theory kind of kid he looks like he will be an absolutely dominating force now he tore his acl uh in mid-february but i i believe you know g- good players are good players you look at jalen smith you look at um the linebacker for jacksonville whose name completely escapes me um who wears 44 but you look at miles nice jack job. um you know good players are good players and i think a team will look at simmons and think he is a potentially transcendent talent on the defensive line that we cannot pass over, even though he will not play for a year. And look, I am, you know, I, I'm well on the record as being a Miami Dolphins fan. If you're a Miami Dolphins front office member, if you're Chris Greer, and you really are, I, I don't believe in the concept of tanking, but that doesn't work. But if you are managing decline, let's say, you are loading up for 2020, which is clear what the Dolphins are doing, then Jeffrey Simmons, as a player who will not play in 2019 but will be ready to play in 2020 when you have an absolute barrel load of draft picks already because you haven't paid anybody in free agency and you've lost a number of players you're likely to have a top three pick and there are transcendent quarterback talents you all of a sudden throw in a jeffrey simmons into that mix as a healthy ready to go player that you know you've essentially redshirted for a year that's an interesting proposition for a team picking at 13. So I, I think Simmons is a fascinating kid and a tremendous player who will be a star in the NFL. And how does he compare with, you know, I feel like the interior defensive class is very much the top two guys and then, and 
and then a drop-off in theory in terms of guys who are healthy. So I'm not including Simmons in that mix. Mm. But how does he compare to that top two of, of Quinn and Williams and, and Ed Oliver? For I, mean, so? I mean, I think he's right in there. And I think it's really... I mean, frankly, for me, it's a top four uh, of interior defensive linemen. I mean, uh, Williams, Ed Oliver of Houston, Christian Wilkins of Clemson, and, Je- and Simmons of Mississippi State. Now, Williams and Oliver are the two that people are, you know, rightly, I would have certainly have them one and two. But, you know, we've talked about Simmons, but you take a kid like Christian Wilkins, double national champion, just an incredible human being off the field, an absolutely wonderful kid off the field, wants to be a teacher. Uh, He's just a great interview. But you look at, you throw in his film, he's played four years, you throw in his film and every single year, Wilkins gets better and better and better. There's no, you know, there's no downside. There's no kind of um, plateauing of performance. He just... Every year he turns up, he plays better and better. And you can play him all over the defensive line. So if you're looking at, you know, if you're a 4-3 team, then, you know, you can potentially play him outside sometimes, but, you know, he's obviously going to play inside. If you're a 3-4 team, you play him at defensive end, you reduce him inside at defensive tackle. He's played fullback. He scored touchdowns as a, as a tailback. Uh, he is a, uh, you know, this is a guy that walks in your locker room day one and is an immediate team leader. He's a, he's a guy that people will gravitate around. He is a very good player. His teammate Dexter Lawrence, similarly, probably more of a two-down player, but has got some pass rush ability. But if you're looking for a big nose tackle, he's right there. And then other guys are like look, Jerry Tillery of Notre Dame. If Tillery can, you know, can become more consistent, he's a tremendous player. We touched on Draymond Jones earlier on, and Zach Allen of Boston College. There's a kid at Miami, Gerald Willis, who's had some serious off-field issues. But you throw on his game against uh, uh, LSU at the start of last season, uh, and you're looking at a top 12 pick in the draft. I mean, some serious off-field issues in terms of, you know, immaturity and um, just anger, I think, anger issues. He stepped away from the game for a little bit, but again, a tremendous player. And then look, down the list you go, LJ Collier of TCU played opposite Ben Bonogu. Collier could end up going in the first round. You know, I've heard talk of him going in the first round. You've got Charles Amenahu of Texas, a bit of a Trey Flowers clone. Kalen Saunders, who was terrific at the East-West Shrine game, got called up to the Senior Bowl, played very well there. Guys like Rennell Wren and Dalen Mack. You, you get on the list. Tristan Hill of, uh, of Central Florida. Tristan Hill, who was a starter as a junior, didn't start at all as a senior, played very well, turned up at the combine, absolutely blew it away. Movement skills, hips, those sorts of things. I mean, Tristan Hill could go in the, in the first two rounds. Right the way down to kids like Albert Huggins. You've got a kid at Charleston called John Kaminsky, who's not going to get to the part of, get to the quarterback. But he's a kid that can really set the edge. Uh, he looks like a Baltimore Ravens type player. Um, there are some really good players on the, de- the interior defensive line and guys that can, can play outside in certain fronts, certain schemes. So it, this is a, a really good, strong, deep position. One of the guys you mentioned, Albert Huggins, is a guy I'm a, a huge fan of. And I, I also like the theory of, of getting guys who maybe have been part of outstanding position groups and therefore haven't played as much mm. at, at big colleges and Huggins kind of fits that bill. You, you often see those guys who, just because of the situation they're in, don't play as much as they should, but whenever they get on the field, play well, and, and that usually translates as well. Definitely. Um, want to just chat a little bit about the guys who will be tasked with blocking these at the next level and just... Talk us through the offensive line class as a whole and, and break it down, Si. Is this, is this one of the better ones we've seen in recent years? Because it feels like, you know, every year we hear the talk now about how 
the college game is not developing offensive linemen anymore because of the schemes and everything else. But are we seeing some some potential diamonds in the rough this year? I think there are. I don't think. I think you make a very salient point. Uh, and to that end, I think for me, the best player, uh, you know, the best tackle in the draft comes from an air raid system. Andre Dillard, the left tackle of Washington State, is a very very proficient pass protector. I think he, you know. I think over the last two seasons, he's he's been in pass pro. Some, I saw a statistic, something like 1,212 times or something. This is a kid who knows and understands how to pass block. Run blocking, not quite as good. And I think you want to draft him as a left tackle. I'm not sure you want to play him uh, as a right tackle unless you have a left-handed quarterback. But even then, I, I, that that's a little overblown in terms of uh, th- this, that situation. But to me, Dillard is a very, very good player. But you know, you've got guys like Juwan Taylor of Florida, pure right tackle. Um, big guy can pass protect, but he will absolutely smack you in the mouth in the run game. And he's a really, really good, good run blocker. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if he went off the board potentially at seven to Jacksonville. Um, I think he's a top fifteen pick. Absolutely, Jonah Williams of Alabama. You know, played right tackle uh, as a junior when they won the national championship. Played left tackle all of last season. Slid over. Uh, and played and was very proficient as a left tackle. Uh, Would he kick inside to guard? I think he could be an all-pro left guard. Uh, I think he can be like the guy at Dallas, um, Zach Martin. Uh, I think he has that type of ability. Um, And then you've got, look, look, you know, if we're we're sticking on the outside, you've got a guy like Cody Ford at Oklahoma, again, another pure right tackle. He's a scrappy as a pass protector, but again, he's another that's going to smack you in the mouth in in the run game. Caleb McGarry, his star is in the ascendancy, the the kid at Washington. Uh, It looked like Trey Adams was going to be the the real guy at at Washington, Um, but back-to-back injuries over the last two seasons have really stuttered his growth. So McGarry, um, who's played very well, uh, and has done a number of visits to to teams in the back end of the first round. You know that. Don't be surprised to see a Caleb McGarry going off the board towards the back end of the first round. Um, and then you're looking at you know uh, the kids. Look, Titus Howard of Alabama State. You know played at a lower level, but again another one that could end up in the top forty picks. And then where do you put a guy like Dalton Risner of Kansas State? Because he can play all five positions. You know he is probably going to be. I mean, this is he's as. He's as fascinating a prospect as I can remember. Absolutely. Just in terms of the the, the versatility. It, it feels like you don't get that on, on the offensive line as often either. Somebody who, you know, they'll come into training camp and maybe even the, the team who selects them doesn't have the clear map at that point of, of exactly where he'll play. Exactly. And, he, you know, he can play right tackle. He's played left tackle. He can play. You know, I think a number of teams think he'll be a centre. You know, he's 312 AC. I mean, he's tall for a centre. He's six foot five. But uh, he's a guy that can just play everywhere. And, you know, having that kind of Swiss Army knife on your offensive line is a real bonus for teams because, you know, he just knows how to get it done. And he's the same player on every single snap. You look at all the things that you look for in an offensive lineman. Strength, boom, he's got it. Body control, boom, he's got it. Footwork, boom, he's got it. Strong hands, Absolutely, he's got it, and that position flexibility, like I say, and the the, the way that he get, he's he's like Cody Whitehair, I think, but but better. Um, Whitehair obviously at the Bears now and has played guard, has played center. Um, you, you probably wouldn't want him at left tackle, but I think anywhere um, center, guard, or right tackle, I think he's um he would be a guy. And then you know, in 
I think there's a number of good centres in this draft, for example. Garrett Bradbury, uh, absolutely smooth, smooth technician of NC State. I think he'll go off the board in the first round. You know, you want to see a guy, you want to see elite quickness from a centre. His ability to get out and reach and turn defensive linemen is second to none. You, you know, it's rare that you see it. Chris Lindstrom of Boston College, I think, is another that will go in the first round. Eric McCoy of Texas A&M, a real hard-nosed, 10-year starter kind of center. Uh, I think he's a very interesting guy. Elton Jenkins of Mississippi State, uh, another uh, battle-hardened in the SEC, uh, I think, who will um, who will be a second or third round pick. Uh, and then, look, you take... There's, a, there's all sorts of guys that you... You know... Yodney Kajus of West Virginia, outside guy, probably a right tackle. David Edwards of Wisconsin. You know, Michael Dieter is teammate at Wisconsin. The Connor, Connor McGovern at Penn State. Mike Jordan at Ohio State. Um, you know, a smaller school guy like Nate Davis of Charlotte, a big, big guy. Can he play tackle? Can he play guard? He's got that kind of inside-outside versatility. Dennis Daly at South Carolina, right tackle. Uh, a really good battle-tested SEC right tackle who looks like he could be a long-term starter. The two Oklahoma guards, Ben Powers and Drew Samir, you know, snot-knocking Oklahoma, you know, cow-chewing, grass-eating, you know, knock-you-on-your-ass kids. I mean, there's some, you know, there's some talent there. And then go go down to day three of the draft. Mitch Hyatt, a four-year starter at Clemson, won two national championships. You're looking for a right tackle. Mitch Hyatt is, you know, Mitch Hyatt. You could do a lot worse than 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 Mitch Hyatt. Alex Bars, who got injured at Notre Dame, played opposite Quentin Nelson. Uh, they were the two guards at, at Notre Dame. Got injured this year. He's a guy that will probably go on the third day, um, and has got some real talent. So again, it, it, it's finding those guys, but those guys are definitely definitely out there. And you know, it's it, it's just finding, you know, it's finding uh, Oli Uda of Elon. Another small school guy, Trey Pipkins of, uh, of Sioux Falls. Small school guys that you could just hit on and they will, you know, you can get some real talent there. So um, a lot to like if you know what you're looking for. And and it's not just about what you're looking for these days, I don't think. I think it is the ability to have a really good teacher as an offensive line coach. And it's what the New England Patriots have done so successfully with the best offensive line coach in the business in yeah. Dante Scarnecchia. It's taking, you know, if you've got an offensive line coach, who can just take a kid and nurture him and teach him the fundamentals of what he's supposed to do within the system. You know, especially when it comes to guards, you know, these phone booth area guys almost working as a tandem, a threesome with, you know, left guard, center, right guard. If you can get those guys working together and well coached, you can find starting level players through the four year value of a contract, get rid of them, pick up a compensatory pick, and then again, away you go again. You're picking up more guys. I mean, the Rams have talked about wanting to pick up guys that they can redshirt and get in the system, and and the, and that's really how it has to be. You're getting guys in. You're getting them up to speed. You know, you're, they're not being they're not being paid an awful lot comparative to everything else. You are. Uh, you're using them for three or four years and then potentially you're just moving them on and taking the comp pick and going again. And that's that's really the way it should be. That makes sense for the Rams as well because Aaron Cromer is another one of those yeah, guys who absolutely. is one of the real top O-line coaches in the league. It's a, it's a, That's a fascinating point, actually. I've never, never thought about it in those terms. And especially with how teams at the opposite end of the spectrum now, you look at the Oakland Raiders who have Tom Cable, the most overrated offensive <laughs> line coach in Ever. football, this year going and, and, and spending all of that money. Yeah, absolutely. Spending all that money on, on Trent Brown, a guy who... Mm. 
was great during the playoffs last year, spotty during the season, but largely is is one of those players who you would most fear pain because he gets out of shape and has admitted he doesn't watch film. And, and, and it, it is, a, I feel like that is a trend that we'll see with, with, with teams who back themselves to coach these guys up. 100%. 100%. And it, you know, that's why offensive line coaching is so important because it, it, it's just those little bits of minutiae, those fundamentals. You know, if you can get a guy that can sit on an island you know, you take the top five, six, seven tackles in the NFL. You can get those sorts of guys. That eliminates one portion of the, you know, of the team. I mean, I, again, referring back to the Dolphins, Adam Gaze talked about last year how he just used to say to 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 um, uh, Laramie Tunsil, you know, you don't worry about anybody else. You just stick on, you know, because they're going to throw. You just deal one on one on your island because I know nobody's getting past you, and I'll just we'll just coach the other four guys because we know that you are as good as there is in football. We'll just worry about everything else, and essentially that's what it became. A guy gave up, you know, two pressures all season. Um, if you can get a guy like that, that does make your life significantly easier. But um, those guys are harder to come by. But if you can just take, if you just realise that, you know, one of my guys is absolutely fine. Now let's try and clean up the other four. If we can get them all working in tandem, and boom, away you go. And and how many of how many all linemen in the first round for you, Sai? Is is Risner going to be the first one off the board, or will it be Dillard? Uh, I think it'll probably be Taylor. Actually, wouldn't surprise me if it was John Taylor. Uh, I think Taylor will go in the first round. I think okay. I think Williams will go in the first round. I think Dillard will go in the first round. I think Ford potentially could go in the first round. I think Bradbury will probably go in the first round, and then maybe Risner and Lindstrom. Uh, I think there could be what one, two, three. Uh, what did I say there? One, two, three, four, six, maybe. Could be, and I think there'll be a big yeah. run on guys. I think there'll be a run on the guy, especially those interior guys, especially if, let's say, if Risner makes it into the second round, you could see Risner, McCoy, Elton Jenkins, David Edwards, Dieter, you know, Michael Jordan, boom, you know, you could have a real run on, on you know, Chuma Adoga, you could have some guys go in that second, third round area that all, McGovern, you know, th- these guys could come off the board, there could be a real run on those sorts of guys. Nice, and, I just want to ask finally, just on on this pod, we've said in the magazines the era of the pass rusher, and I urge people to to buy the magazine. We've got an incredible subs offer on at the moment. It's always the best offer of the year. We we give the draft issue away for free, so subscribe. And even if you don't get the print edition in time, any subscription now you get access to the digital catalogue, and it will be there. So if even if you purchase it on draft week, on draft night, you will still be able to look at our magazine before the draft starts just online. Uh, but, Sai, we've said it's the draft of the pass rusher. Have you ever seen a better defensive line group than this in the draft? Um, I can't think off the top of my head. Um, but the, there's certainly some elite talent there. Um, no, I can't think of any off the top of my head, certainly. Um, you know, but look, the guys have got to turn up and play. Ultimately, you know, I think Ed Oliver is an, uh, you know, a transcendent talent who, you know, he's not gonna, he's not Aaron Donald because Aaron Donald is Aaron. You know, there's very few Aaron Donalds, but it's not. It wouldn't surprise me at all if in three years' time Ed Oliver is an, is a perennial All Pro. He has that kind of talent. But then you could look at... Is he somebody who's been... The, where it's a little bit of overthinking with Ed, yes. Ed Oliver. It feels like we came into the year saying he was the number one player in this draft and would be until draft day. And it feels like Houston had a disappointing season. He had a disappointing season. 
does it does it just ultimately feel like people are overthinking it a little with him? I, I totally, totally think people are. You know, this is a guy that you know was slowing down and ran in the four sevens. He had thirty-two bench press. He a vertical jump of thirty-six inches at six foot two, two hundred and eighty-seven pounds. You, you know, just turn on the tape. The guy's a machine. You know, he struggled with a knee injury this year. He, you know, he'd already said that he was, you know, he was going to declare for the draft. But this is an absolutely ball of fury, explosive guy who will beat you off the snap and beat you like a drum for 60 minutes. He he is rare athletically. He is gifted as a uh, as a pass rusher. You know, I, I think it's important that he gets in the right scheme. You know, because you want to play him as a sort of a shade nose tackle or a three technique. But I think he is just going to be speedy. I mean, look, he could be Levon Kirkland. You know, you could play him at inside linebacker if you wanted to at times. You know, he is that good. He's that quick. You know, his foot quickness and his change of direction ability, his leverage and his ability to get in and under offensive linemen and just move them off the ball. It is like watching Aaron Donald in a different uniform. So we shall see, but I think he's a phenomenal talent. For the older listeners, it reminds me, listening to you talk of Bob Lilly, the former mm. Dallas Cowboy in the 60s, who they famously moved around the line in that, in that defence. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, I feel like this is going to be the position group that defines the draft in, in terms of, you know, I, I feel like if a lot of these guys come off the board early, it'll be interesting to see if teams panic, which would be a little ridiculous given how deep the class is. But we've seen it before, haven't we, when uh, a position group starts to really come off the board in quick succession, how different teams start manoeuvring around the board. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, look, it's part of the reason why mock drafts are so, you know, they're, they're great fun. But, you know, pretty much everybody's mock draft will be done by sort of six, seven probably before even on you know next Thursday because the you know there will be so many trades and because people have sort of you know the 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 going price for trades is not as much as it used to be you know you look a few years back and you know the, to deal into the top 10 or whatever you'd have to give up two three four picks it, it it doesn't it's not quite as expensive as that these days um so you will see a lot of movement I think and you know there'll be a number of teams looking to move back as well so you know there will be um there'll be lots of movement and lots of defensive line players you know if, if players begin to fall that's your phone um, or your alarm or... yeah it is I've, I've got an alarm set every night to, to go to, to bed do, um, to, <laughs> no just to do a, a job it's a, I've got a I'm in the process of organised a lot of interviews and every night I refresh my list and, and email everybody who I need to email nice. um, yes so I think you know look at, at 15, 18, 22, 25, you're going to get defensive line talent that in most years you'd be picking at 3, 6, 9, 12. You know, so it, yeah. I, I think that's the kind of the way that you have to look at it. You know, so I think there will be, um, I think there'll be a lot of movement around. And look, the, the quarterbacks thing is, is going to be the most fascinating. What, what happens with quarterbacks? What happens, you know, is Dwayne Haskins' stock really falling? Where is Josh Rosen going to be traded to? Is Josh Rosen going to be traded? Is the Kyler Murray thing a massive smoke screen? I mean, Mar- Rosen gave an interview today and said, you know, I'm not going to be hard done by if I am traded. It, it, it's the greatest smoke screen of all time, but it still could be a great smoke screen. It still could just be a ruse you know, just to get more picks. Um, you know, where is Daniel Jones going? It seems like the NFL has Daniel Jones rated significantly higher than people like me do. 
you know, uh, I, I would not surprise me to see Daniel Jones come off the board at six to the New York Giants at this stage. Um, you know, is Haskins stock falling? Where does Drew Locke going? You know, it seems like Drew Locke is his star is in the ascendancy a little bit. You know, will he go before he gets to the Denver Broncos at pick ten? Will Denver take him? Lots of rumors about. It. What about the Raiders? The Raiders seem to love Drew Locke. You know, they worked with him at the Senior Bowl. John Gruden fell in love with him. It's fascinating to find out. So you know, we shall. You know, this time next week we'll be we'll be very excited. We will almost be there. So um, yeah, bring it on is what I say. So this is the, I'm trying to think, the third last pod before the draft. We're going to do one more just going through inside linebacker, cornerback, safety and covering off those areas. Maybe he's getting into a little list of the guys Cy really loves really low on the board. And then we will run through the mock draft that he put together a couple of weeks ago now for the magazine. We'll update it where we need to and, and get some, some insights from Simon on, on what he's hearing because I know he's the, he's the guy talking to scouts and keeping his ear pinned to the ground at this time of year. So please join us for those two. And for now, have a great Easter weekend.